This is George Schwartz from We Got Power, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Yo, this is Mike with Bleed the Freaks. Come freak with us on Iron City Rocks. Yeah, yeah. And welcome to episode 175 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Aaron. On this episode of the Iron City Rocks podcast, we are going back to California. So California is a place that when I was a kid, it's always just kind of drawn me in. It's always enamored me, um, and especially musically. My mom raised me on bands like the Beach Boys and Jan and Dean. And then as I got older, I got into Bay Area thrash bands like Metallica and Megadeth. And then as I got older still... Um, I would start listening to bands like Primus, all out of California, all very different, but all very intense musically. Well, there's another aspect of California um, that I've kind of been obsessed with, and we've kind of peppered in through the podcast through, throughout the area, but it, it was the, um, the post-punk scene that went on in California, but more specifically what, what happened with SST Records. So I had the opportunity to talk to Jordan, um, who is one of the co-authors on the book, We've Got Power, or I'm sorry, We Got Power. Um, and it's on Bazillion Points Media. It's a fantastic book. You've got to check it out. Some of the most beautiful photographs that you're going to see for this area. But he really captured um, the essence, you know, him and his him and his co-author captured the essence of this book and just the essence of the California punk scene. And it is just phenomenal. And then coupled with that, we're also going to have an interview with... Mike Roberts of a band called Bleed the Freaks, who also happens to be a Bay Area thrash band. Um, they are not what you might be thinking. I think you're really going to like this band. Um, I've listened to the record three, four times just since I got it, um, getting ready for the interview, and I keep listening to it post-interview because it's just that good. So we're going to start off with Jordan, and then after Jordan's interview, there'll be a short break, and we will get right into the interview with Mike. So enjoy, and I'll talk to you soon. gentlemen on the show today i have jordan schwartz one of the co-authors of the book um we got power so jordan how you doing today oh pretty good pretty good good man good hey thanks for doing the interview today really really excited to talk to talk to you about all this cool um, so how did this book come together okay so uh this book uh started uh back in uh 1979 in a sense when i when i met uh uh, this kid, uh, David Markey, who moved, I moved in into uh, Santa Monica, and he lived around the block. Basically, uh, Dave at the time was doing like a little fanzine with kids from the neighborhood and uh, shooting Super 8 films with kids from the neighborhood, and I, and I started helping him out on that. Then a little bit later, the whole L.A. kind of hardcore punk scene blew up right in our own backyard with bands like Black Flag and the Circle Jerks and stuff like that. And he and I and my uh, sister and another friend of ours 
realized, hey, we could do a, a punk rock fanzine. All these other people are doing fanzines. Why don't we do one? And David already kind of been doing one with, with this, this thing called, it was called uh, the Neighborhood Journal with just kids from the neighborhood. Well, why don't we blow it up a little bit? So we, did, we started this fanzine called We Got Power. We did five issues from about 1982 to uh, 1983, 84. And that was right in the thick of, thick of uh, this, this LA, the L.A. hardcore punk rock scene. When I shot a lot of uh, film in uh, black and white, 35 millimeter, I would shoot and develop it and, and make a few prints uh, for each issue of the magazine. Then you fast forward a couple of uh, decades, and uh, Dave had a, a scanner, a digital scanner, and it had a thing to scan negatives. He said, dude, bring your, bring your negatives over. Let's see what's on there, because I had held on to held on to the negatives. We started scanning in stuff, and all these amazing photos came out. So we thought, look, we should do a book, and we can, have, we can group the photos together and then have some of the people that are in the photos, like Henry Rollins and Keith Morris, uh, people like that, write little bits about the specific photos, and we can also include all the copies of, of uh, We Get Power magazine. Um, and so that's, that's basically what happened. The, the, we kind of realized that they started scanning the things about seven years ago. So it took a while, and uh, we went through another publisher. We were going to originally do it with Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth, his ecstatic, ecstatic piece or ecstatic piece books company, but that whole thing blew up in, in the middle of all this. So it was kind of a long time coming, but it's finally out now. Yeah, and, and like I was telling you earlier, flipping through this, this is an amazing piece of work. I mean, this, this is history that, that I've only read about, and now to put pictures yeah. to a lot of those writings, this is just amazing, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, a lot of things came together, including hooking up with uh, Ian Christie at Bazillion Points. So, you know, he's been doing these other music, music mags, like the, the kind of the, the, you know, kind of speed metal scenes or whatever, and then he did the uh, Touch and Go book, which is like a Detroit fanzine, a kind of a contemporary of ours. Yeah, oh, he's a nut. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, we were big uh, Meat Man fans from back in the day. Yeah. Uh, so he had done such a great job there, and we handed him off all this material, and he really rescanned all the photos, and that helped him kind of understand what was happening to the point where he could make inside jokes, the kind that Dave and I would make about some of the bands or the people, people in the pictures or whatever. I mean, he's... Ian, Ian, uh, Ian Christie had, had a, a lot to do with the, the look and feel of this book. You know, it, it all kind of, and also the, 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 the contributions from the different people writing, like Janet Housen from Red Cross tells this amazing story about uh, you know, punching out uh, Tony Alva, the, uh, the Dogtown Gator. Yeah, it's just crazy stuff. Yeah, it's, it's it, it was amazing. So I'm kind of curious here, like, how did you get so deep involved in the hardcore scene? Because I mean, this, this was this was a form of music that at the time, like like it, it was a lifestyle. I mean, you committed to this. You know, this this wasn't like turn on pop radio, dancing around to Madonna. You really yeah. committed to the scene. So what what drew you guys in? Uh, I think it was just the intensity, right? And and it 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 the, right. The internet has changed everything, right? Now. Yeah. All kinds of media, you can get any kind of media right in your face. It's easier, easy to produce it, and it's easy to consume it. Back then, you had to kind of hunt it out. But 
you know, we started with a more commercial form. Like, there was a kind of a new wave and ska was happening in that late 70s. And you heard yeah. the Sex Pistols was sort of the shot heard around the world about, hey, there's this other stuff out there. But you really had to hunt it out. Um, so eventually, um, there, was, there was a film called The Decline of the Western Civilization. It was done by Penelope Spirits. And it yeah. was a documentary about the L.A. hardcore scene, 79 to 80, but it included amazing live performances from Black Flag, Circle Jerks, The Germs, X, uh, and a few other bands. And the soundtrack had come out six months before the movie, and it, and it had, like, little raps and stuff in between the two. And so, like, we would just, we would just study that record every day. <laughs> then, you know, we realized these bands are playing all right around us, and we just started going out to more and more gigs, just kind of getting sucked into it. Uh, so, and, and that culture that was the underground do-it-yourself or DIY culture, it just, you could see that other people were just doing stuff. And, you know, I started yeah. hanging out with David. He had already been doing his own films and, and magazines before, you know, we even really got into uh, the hardcore punk rock scene. So it, in some ways it was kind of just a smooth, logical transition. You, yeah. you documented everything so well. Like, what, what drove that? The style of communication? It's, I, I think we just, we just kind of evolved. You know, that was just an evolutionary thing. Uh, and a lot of it, I think, had to do with Dave Marcus, Dave's creativity as far as, doing, you know, just constantly doing films and, and, and laying out the magazine or flyers or whatever. It was just, we were just able to kind of evolve our style. So, like, what... What drove you guys to pick up a camera and just say, we need to document this? Because you have amazing pictures out there. Well, that was, it, it, that's kind of how that scene was. Um, and for me personally, uh, it was that, you know, when we decided to do the fanzine, you know, I was kind of dabbling in, uh, in photography, and it was like, hey, I'm bringing my freaking camera, and I'm going to go take some pics. And then, you know, things started coming out. So it's kind of like, you know, a, a lot of times we used to say if we were going to some party or something like that, it's like, you know, we're on a mission, kind of like uh, Blues Brothers. You know, we're on a mission from God. We were just on a mission, yeah. uh, perhaps yeah. from Satan. Uh, <laughs> 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 on some of the stuff we did. But, um, yeah, it was just it, that, that whole the, the kind of the scene itself kind of propagated. It kind of gave the energy, right? The music is high energy stuff. And it was kind of rare, and you knew you had to go out to get it, right? You can't, you know, the, the, you weren't going to hear this on commercial radio. You, you had to go find it out. And it was so intense and so interesting that it drove us to seek it out. It's kind of like the flame. It was the flame, and we were the moths. But the additional yeah. thing was it also gave us some justification to produce additional art around it. It's like, hey, we can contribute to this stuff. You know, and then I ended up working at SST Records. I'm not familiar, if you're sure if you're familiar with that, but that, that's the oh, record yeah. label that, that was started by Greg Ginn from Black Flag. And they had brought in some great bands like the Minutemen, Meat Puppets, Sonic Youth, Husker Du. So I got to kind of help as a press agent and, and as a booking agent there as well as I was working with Dave Markey, and he was doing films like Desperate Teenage Love Dolls and Love Doll Superstar. We just kind of kept building on it and spreading into different aspects of, of this, this greater scene. Wow. 
Yeah. And, and so I'm kind of curious, like, did you guys know that you were, like, on the verge of something as, as big of, as this, or was it just, no. just what you guys did every day? No, it was just, like, it, it was cool. We knew that we liked it, and we knew that it was cool, but we also knew a lot, you know, a lot of people hated it or, or you know, or didn't care, right? Back in the day, if you were punk or, you were punk rock in, in you know, 1980, 81, 82, um, people would yell at you, you know, like, Evil head punk rocker, you know, F you, that kind of stuff. The people yeah. hated it, right? They, were in, they wanted their Led Zeppelins and, and ACDCs and, or, you know, or whatever they were listening to. It was, it was not like that. It wasn't until, you know, Nirvana happened in 1991, and Dave, by the way, was able to go on tour with Sonic Youth uh, and do a tour with Sonic and shoot Super 8 of Sonic Youth and Nirvana right before uh, Nirvana's Nevermind record came out. Right? But once that happened, that, that changed the whole world. It's almost 1991, the year punk broke. So after yeah. the year punk broke, it became this whole other thing where you've got Platinum Punk and you've got Green Day and Blink-182 and they're, oh, those, those crazy lovable punker kids, you know? Uh, but <laughs> yeah. we were, but the, in the, that, that other scene, you just you did it to do it. You did it because you liked it and, and you liked what was coming out of it. But there was zero. There was really no money involved. No, sure. no, never. No, I mean, I hate to say it, but there, there never is when you're starting. I mean, you're a podcaster, you know? right? Why do you do podcasts? I'm sure it's not for the money. <laughs> Heck no, it's because we love it. Yeah. It's just fun to do, you know? Yeah. All right, so I've always been curious about this. <clears throat> Being that you're out in California, and especially the time that you guys were very active with the whole hardcore punk scene, yeah. I know there was a burgeoning metal scene that was growing out there. Like, yeah. Did those yeah, ever yeah. cross-pollinate? Like, how, how, like, like, did you see both scenes? How, how did they kind of coexist? Yeah, so uh, that was kind of one of the things I missed was Metallica, right? Metallica would come down, right, because they looked at things that were what, Bay, Bay, Bay Area based, but they would come down to play. There was a club, the Whiskey A Go Go, which holds mm-hmm. about two, three hundred people. You know, the Doors had played there, and it's right on the Sunset Strip. I missed those early Metallica gigs because at the time, there were all these, like, all the hair metal bands, you know, the Poisons and whatever. They'd take out these obnoxious full page ads in the music magazines, and they were so freaking terrible. I didn't realize that there was something as cool as speed metal, you know? So I kind of missed a lot of the Metallica stuff. But they were cool because they were like misfit shirts on stage looking like Circus Magazine or whatever, the big metal yeah. mag, and see Metallica. They were, in, they were into the hardcore punk rock thing, and they kind of mixed it into their, uh, their sort of that, that hybrid speed metal. But it, sure it took me a little while to get onto it. But the other thing is that um, SST Records, from early on, had been putting out St. Vitus records, right? And St. Yeah. Vitus had always played that real slow doom. I mean, they call it doom now, but it was just all that slow, Sabbathy kind of stuff. And, and, the, right, the, and the, all the Vitus dudes were full-blown metalheads. But Dave Vitus would have his exploited patches and stuff like that. So, it was, so I kind of got an appreciation of, uh, of, of metal from... St. Vitus and another band called Overkill that SST had put out. You know, Greg Ginn had a lot of vision, and he, he was, he, he dug, 
you know, he does his share of metal. So I kind of got a taste of it, but, but some of it I, I missed. I missed some of those early uh, early Metallica gigs when they came down here. All right, now I'm glad you brought up Overkill because yeah. when I was well, when I was a teen, um, I would have been looking probably the back of either a Metal Edge or a Circus, and there was an yeah. ad to get a, an SST sampler tape. So I said, right, 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 and yeah. there was there was an Overkill song on that it's tape, and I've always wondered. Concept. Yeah. Uh, what, I, was that the same overkill that went on to do stuff like Hello from the Gutter, or those two different overkills? No, no. So there was an English band from Overkill. This was an L.A. band from Overkill. And they, okay. I think they released one album and a single, and, they, and some of those tracks were on that SSP blasting concept stuff. But there was a whole yeah. other, that, oh, that other overkill is a whole other trip. Okay, okay. And, and I was never quite sure, because I, actually I always enjoy the overkill on SST. And I yeah. think the tape what about I have Vitus? Called... Did you did you listen to Saint Vitus back then? Oh, I, were... I listened to that whole tape, like both sides, every Black Flag song. Like I devoured yeah. that tape. And Born Born Too Late, you know that to me that 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 tune that album is amazing. And and then when they brought in Scott Wino Weinrich, right? If any metal or or at least into kind of underground metal or whatever has got to be into yeah. Scott Weinrich. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. just too cool. And the thing is. Vitus are probably one of the biggest bands right now. I mean, everybody loves, you know, all the kids are into all that, that doom stuff. And, and actually, they're coming, to, they're on tour now, and they're coming to L.A., I think, like, uh, uh, a week from Saturday. I can't wait to, to see them again. Yeah, now, you were mentioning, um, as, 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 you know, we were kind of coming on here, that um, yeah. there's a Circle Jerks um, documentary going on. Yeah, can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? Yeah, so, you know, my buddy Dave Markey is an independent filmmaker. He's been making films since he was about, you know, I think 11, and he wanted to make a film. His parents wouldn't let him see The Exorcist, but his friends had told him about it, so he figured he'd make his own film called The, about, uh, called the Devil's Exorcist about what he thought The Exorcist might have been. He shot that in his backyard with a couple of friends. And then evolving his films up. And he's done a couple documentaries, like 1991, The Year Punk Broke, uh, which yeah. Universal just re-released on DVD about a year ago. So the latest project he's done is a documentary about the Circle Jerks, right, which is one of the premier L.A. hardcore punk rock bands. Um, yeah. And the, the, film, the, the film is called My Career as a Jerk, and it's coming out on DVD from a company called MVD, uh, and I and I think mid October, mid to late October. So we're doing a screening. We have a a gallery show. We have prints from our book, the We Got Power book, uh, prints up there. And in, in the gallery tonight, we're doing a screening of the film. It's a really cool, well edited. I think it's about a seventy minute film or seventy to ninety minute film uh, about uh, the rise uh, and and somewhat fall of the Circle Jerks. It's got great interviews. There's a lot of stories in there. Um, from the different era, eras of the Circle Jerks, and uh, and also some very killer uh, live performances as well, in, including uh, the the era of the Circle Jerks with Chuck Biscuits from DOA uh, had played with them for a while. He didn't record much, but there's some good live footage. It's just killer, killer drumming, killer, killer Circle Jerks hardcore. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, so, I'm no, kind of curious here. Yeah. Knowing that you guys are, you know, so so entrenched in the LA scene, 
Yeah. Are there? Can you ever picture there being a black flag documentary, or do you think that all sides of the black flag camp would shut that down? Well, no. There's a well. Who knows? But <laughs> there is a guy writing a book about SSP, um, and he's 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 doing it very uh, very thorough. He's he's interviewed almost every musician that's played on any SST record. Wow. Except for Greg Ginn, but he's got a whole other story about his interactions with Greg Ginn. Um, wow. So eventually, that book is going to come. I mean, it's it's taken him two years to do the interviews, and then he's then he's going to talk to the like staff people, the people that work there, like me or whatever. After he gets the the musicians out of the way, so he if anybody knows the story aside from uh, Joe Carducci, who was one of the SST partners, and he does a lot of writing. He did a book called The Rock, Rock and the Not, Not Rock and the Pop Narcotic, and a book about uh, Naomi Peterson, who was a, a staff photographer for SST, called Enter Naomi. Aside from yeah. Carducci, this this guy Abe Gibson is this is going to be the ultimate SST book, which will have a lot of the Black Flag stories in there. Now, as far as doing a documentary, I haven't heard about anybody even trying to take that on, but there's definitely stories there. But yeah, how to how to get something like that done is uh, it would be uh, pretty intense. Actually, I think I thought I remember somebody actually shooting some, trying to shoot some documentary a few years ago. I mean, people have attempted it. It, it could happen eventually. I thought you were going to ask me if there was going to be a black flag reunion. That's a whole nother trip. You know, I I don't think that'll ever happen. I would yeah. love to see it. I would be. I, yeah. I would so love to be at that show. But I just I couldn't. I yeah. can't picture I can't picture everybody no. putting stuff aside, but also like if you look at Greg and you look at Henry, they seem to be very forward moving gentlemen. You know, like oh, they, yeah. they don't look back for very long. They just say, Hey, this is what we did now, here's what we're doing. Oh definitely. You know? I mean I, I don't even think I don't even think Henry at this point is even entertaining thoughts of, of singing in any rock band, right? He's doing his uh, capitalism spoken word tour where he's speaking in, in the capital of every state right now running up to uh, the election. So, yeah, he's well into that. Uh, he doesn't, I don't think he wants to play in any band. <laughs> yeah. But it would be cool, you know. We've had some kind of mix-up things. Uh, there's a promoter out here, Golden Voice. They did a thing called GV30, which was their um, 30th anniversary show at the Santa Monica Civic, which is right down the street from me. And one night they had... Um, Chuck Bukowski, the bass player from Black Flag, Bill Stevenson, who drummed on with Black Flag, like on the, uh, the Slip It In record, Stephen Egerton, from the, the, the guitar player from The Descendants, and then Keith Morris, who sang on, on the first Black Flag uh, single. They, did, they, they played a, a special guest type set, and they did the first Black Flag single live. That was pretty amazing. Um, and also, Keith and Chuck have played with the band... Um, um, uh, no Age, they did a thing called No Flag, which was, no, it was another kind of, they just jumped on the stage and did it. So it was the, the uh, No Flag guys was a guitar player and drummer, and then Chuck played bass, Keith singing, and they did a few Black Flag covers, which is amazing. You can find that stuff out on YouTube. So there's been these kind of variations, uh, and a lot, then followed by a lot of debate about is that any good or what have you. And that's the other thing. Yeah, I, All of us I've, I've read, read the flashback from that. Huh? Yeah. There, there, all, all of us here on the, the, the big peanut gallery that is the Internet are free to chime <laughs> in 
wherever. And I'm sure, uh, I don't know if you have blog postings on the Signal to Noise website, but I'm sure uh, uh, Signal to Noise listeners, uh, we'd be glad to hear your, uh, your, your take on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. But, yeah, I'm, for me, I'm into whatever. If the people are into doing it, I want to hear it, you know. Yeah, just legendary stuff, man. I tell you, they, they, just flipping through the books, looking at the pictures, reading the um, reading the essays. Because like I just I just talked to Mike Watt not too long ago for Iron City Rocks here. And, yeah, and he's coming through town too with the the second he's been helping at the third opera, right? I don't know yeah. what his Pennsylvania dates are, but I'm sure he's looking for you to see see you in the pit there, so to speak. He's, he's going to be here October 20th, and check this out. Not only is he going to be here, but the same show is going to have um, Ed from Ohio's new band, uh, Food, Oh, buddy, what is it? Food, right. Oh, my God. Ed, Ed was out here for, you know, the, there's a big thing out here called Coachella. It's this thing out in the desert, a big three-day oh, yeah. rock fest. And Firehose, you know, the Golden Voice, it's run by the guy's Golden Voice. He used to do all the, the big gigs back in the day. So they were cool enough to bring out Firehose for this thing. So I got to see Ed hanging out at, at Walt was doing some uh, third opera gigs down in, at this place in the San Pedro. You know, just watching the whole show. Go. You're so lucky to go to that gig. Like I could, I'd almost want to fly out and hang out at that gig. That'd be really cool. Yeah, and I'm, Ed, I'm is a, Ed is a trip. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, hey, Jordan, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I want to thank you for being a part of the show today. Hey, thank you. Yeah, and, and uh, so, yeah, the kids can go to BazillionPoints.com and get the We Got Power book. Uh, Ian Christie, the publisher there, has a nice little – if you order it from Bazillion Points, you get this little We Got Power gift bag, which has a picture on the front of dudes hanging out at Okie Dogs and a bunch of extra goodies inside of that, like stickers from Rip City Skates and crap like that. So the book's only 40 bucks. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. And you can crank your, crank your tunes on your iPod or whatever while you're listening, coming through the book. So hey, good times, man. They're coming. The dunks. The dribbling. The four-point shot. The world-famous Harlem Globe Charters are coming to Pittsburgh. Playing the Consol Energy Center on Sunday, December 26th at 7 p.m. Give your kids the gift they won't ever forget. Tickets are available at Dick's Sporting Goods Box Office at Consol Energy Center, Ticketmaster.com, and all Ticketmaster outlets, or charge by phone at 800-745-3000. The Harlem Globe Charters at the Consol Energy Center, Wednesday, December 26th at 7 p.m. Ground. You always got to the beat. 
Have you ever listened to an album and thought to yourself, man, I could do so much better than that? Well, here's your chance. My name is Sue, and I've decided to write my next album live and online at RageAndApathy.com. So come on over, leave me a comment, and tell me what you think about the album and where you think it should go. And as a bonus for you Iron City rockers out there, I will give you an exclusive copy of the first song as soon as I get it finished. So stop on over to RageAndApathy.com and join my madness. All right, so that track you just heard was called Crush My Groove by the band Bleed the Freaks. Probably one of my favorite tracks off the record. Um, You definitely need to check these guys out. And without any further ado, we're going to get into our interview with Mike Roberts right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show Mike Roberts of the band Bleed the Freaks. How are you doing, uh, Mike? Great. How are you doing out there in Pennsylvania today, pal? Hey, we're doing great. It's actually beautiful weather out here today for a change. Um, Mike, I was excited to catch up with you and talk about the new album you guys have out um, called All Those Lost. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with, with you guys, could you give us a little bit of an introduction to, to the band Bleed the Freaks here? Yeah, um, you know, we're a Bay Area-based band. We grew up with the 80s, you know, metal and the metal scene and all that stuff. Uh, we try to be, these days we're a little, we call ourselves crush groove rock uh, metal. You know, we're, we're really into the, uh, the hooky, catchy grooves. And we want to keep catch people's attention with our lyrics. We really write songs about the, uh, you know, the meaning, meaningful stuff that has happened in our lives. Yeah, and I and, gotta uh, say, I, I love your sound too. By the way, yeah, we had uh, Juan Ortega that just did the Machine Head Locust album, produce it as a good friend of ours in Martinez, California, and he just did some Testament stuff, and he just did the new Patriot album with my one of my best friends Zetro from Exodus, the new album for them. So uh, we pro- they took us about uh, a year because uh, we were writing in the middle. The producer had to go finish the Machine Head album, so he got back to us, which gave us some more time to, to finish up and get the lyrics. We went back and forth on the lyrics like for three months, but it's a good process, and we really love the album. We're really proud of it. And the album really sounds like a work of art. Like as I sit down and I listen to it, I can tell this is an album where you guys put a lot of thought into every bit of it. Like it, it sounds just like, I mean, in my opinion, it sounds like perfection through and through. Like, I, I love start to finish listening to this record. I've listened to it probably three times in the last two days. Well, well thank you, thank you. Yeah, and, we, and we go with, you can see the peaks and the valleys and the ups and downs of the album. We kind of feel that with you. That's what we felt. And it was a couple years in the writing, and Bill, the, the vocalist, that, you know, his first couple bands, he was in with the Cannibal Corpse guys. And I'm just finding this out, too. I didn't even know his history. Uh, we did a Craigslist search, found Bill, and, you know, me and him went back and forth for, like I said, like six months on those lyrics, and it, it has to really mean something to both of us, and we have to agree on the meaning of what this song, these songs are about for us to put them out. And I, I think it comes through, and I think the fans will get it. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Like, I, I love listening to the record, just the melodies that you guys have, and the fact that your singer obviously has <clears throat> some we'll call it power and aggression to his voice, but he can still sing and hold a melody. Right, right. That's what we're looking for. We're trying to be just a little bit different. Like I said, we're kind of crushed groove metal to where he, you know, he, his voice, I'm, I, I was really into singers, you know, Queens, right. Fate's warning. That's, you know, when I, you know, doc, and I hate to say the stuff I kind of was into growing up, Judas Priest, Yeah. you know, the vocal, the vocalist that sang, but I liked the raw power of the stuff. You know, I wasn't into the too much thrash death metal, where I couldn't understand the lyrics. So 
you kind of get a different crowd when you do you, know, you do the hard heavy groove with the with the vocals you can really understand and grasp. Yeah, I agree, and I mean I like your approach. I mean, looking at your influences, those are all bands where kind of the crown jewel of the band was the singer, it was like a cherry on top of the Sunday, and you guys had that same approach. I mean, foundationally, like I, I can't wait to really kind of dig into some of your playing techniques here, but I mean, foundationally, the way this record is written, I just can't get over all the layers and textures and, and depth to the writing process, and then, you know, you pop the singer on top like that cherry, and it just brings it all together, you know? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a work in progress, pal, and we're very proud of it. Like I said, we had a Worked on the music for like a year and a half, um, uh, getting the music together, me and Jamie Knight and the, and the drummer Kenny, and we found uh, the guitar player and the singer online. And I had, the, I had the, the songs written, the ideas for the songs, the titles, which me and the singer struggled over, and we find meanings for him and us to both agree on. And then the, the melodies and the leads came with the other guitar player, which added so much more depth to the songs. It just... It's a really great feeling to finally get it done and get it out there, buddy. Yeah. So I want to ask you a little bit about the production process because one thing that really impressed me with this record, especially with everything that's out there, because I, I listen to a lot of music and I'm definitely a bit of an audio geek um, when it comes to just like gear and sound and all those sort of things. And what really right. struck me with this record is the fact that my ears don't hurt when I listen to it. And I think you probably know where I'm going since you've been listening to stuff um, probably a while, you know, we had similar right. backgrounds, but your album is not over compressed like everything else that's out there. I mean, it's still definitely in your face and it's got punch. So was that like a conscious effort or was that a producer? Decision yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. That's a conscious effort with, like I said, with like our groove, our groove orient. We, you know, a lot of low end, uh, straight, uh, you know, uh, we use black star and Marshall amps on the, on the, uh, record. So um, that was the producer in mind. He he's a very uh, you know strict strict workaholic uh, you know Juan Ortega. He's very strict workaholic guy. Let's get it done. Let's get it right. And he you know you do the basic tracks and then you get in there and, and he gives you his his take on it and you know kind of we kind of go away and let him do his thing and then you know I would come back with one other guy and we'd see what he had and we'd maybe make a couple adjustments, but we pretty much let him run with it, you know, the way it is. And I think that's what you do when you get a great producer in there. You let them do what they do. And, and I, I love it. I mean, like I said, like the, the album actually breathes, you know, I mean, it, it's definitely still more compressed than say an album that was done in the sixties, but I mean, compared to what's going on today, you guys achieve something that I haven't heard anybody else do. Like it's, it still breathes. There's still range in the record, and that's why I could listen to it three times the past two days. My ears didn't hurt. I popped it in. You know, every time I was driving somewhere, I'm like, man, this is great, great stuff. Like just great yeah. melodies, great stuff to sing along to. Well, thank you, buddy. And, and like I said, you know, that's the kind of album that you put in your CD. You could drive to. You put in your car, and you can crank it just a little one more notch. And it, like you said, it doesn't. It doesn't over. You know, compensate on the on the distortion and on the you know the compression, it's really, it's really right there. And I think that was in the, in the mastering too, that he really, he brought it back just the hair. And I think we did it just right on that. pal. yeah, I got to agree. Hey, so let's talk gear. So you're a guitarist. So like what, what kind of guitars did you use for the, for the record? I mean, you talked about black star and Marshall Lamp. So what, what kind of, what kind of guitars do you use to get your tones here? Cause you have some beautiful tones on this record. Yeah, I, we used, uh, I used, I wrote most all the songs on the guitars myself. Um, but I used all Gibson, Seymour Duncan pickups, um, and on the leads was ESP guitar. So, uh, 
I stick with the Gibsons. I really like the the, the heavy wood. You know, I got to go back to the old tones. You know, the Guns and Roses. They use Gibson Marshall. You hear all the greats, those great albums with those slash tones. You know, that's all Gibson Marshall. And uh, you know, like I said, that's the, the the guitar and the wood makes a big difference to me. Now I'm I'm getting into the ESP ESP guitars too. Now they have some because I play Explorers and Les Pauls, and they have some styles like that too. So. Um, you know, we're, we're venturing on to that too, but I really, my, recording the album, it was pretty much just, uh, you know, it was the, the direct bass. We used the sound gear, Ibanez sound gear and the, uh, Gibson and Marshall. And that was pretty much the rhythm tracks. Man, that, that's, that's amazing to me. I mean, and it's, it's funny what you say about like the Gibsons, cause they were, they've always been such heavy guitars. I remember my guitar teacher when I was growing up, he had probably like a, maybe like, like either late, late very late 60s or an early 70s Les Paul. And that thing was probably like, what, 20 pounds? Oh, yeah. It was so heavy. But you're right, that's that's the tone. Like, that's where you get that beautiful guitar tone from. from that, it's that the wood. wood. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful wood, buddy. And like you said, the guitar the guitar teacher, we, you know, it's funny because the guitar teacher we all grew up with here at Castrovada, which are some pretty famous people from here where I'm from, uh, the guitar player teacher was Bob Marshall, and he actually taught me, taught Jimmy Martin from Faith No More. Cliff Burton yeah. took some lessons from him, you know, when we grew up together, all of us. And uh, my friend Yaz, who was in Griffin, Griffin and Heathen. So, you know, there's some, some famous people who's been to this guy to take some lessons, and uh, they pretty much all played Gibsons, you know, except with the exception of Cliff. But, uh, you know, Jimmy Martin on the Flying V Gibson, you know, the, the tone's just there, buddy. Well, you brought up the the Bay Area here, and you you got me kind of thinking on this one now. So I was I was kind of curious, you know, because I was reading the bio and it talks about like the different players you've grown up, like like Cliff Burton and Les Claypool, yeah. and now you said you know right. um, Jim Martin. So what do you think it was about the Bay Area that helped to launch like the thrash metal that I grew up with and really define metal that is as I know it? Uh, like, what do you think it was about about that California scene? Because I mean, California's produced so much great pop music over the years. I mean, from the right. Black Flag, you know, to right. Metallica and that sort of stuff. So what do you think it's been about the Bay Area that had so much electricity to drive the metal scene the way it has? Well, you know, me growing up, it was kind of weird because most of the people I'm talking about, with the exception of, like, Cliff's family, uh, a lot of my friends, their families were, you know, not together. Their parents were apart. I think we were young, angst kids looking for something new, and we, and we, you know, the aggression and the heaviness. Like, you know, what did it for me was Nugent, you know, jumping off them amps and going crazy, Nugent, seeing Nugent yeah. doing his thing. That really did it for me. Uh, you know, us getting together and just playing, we would, we would go out to the canyons out here in Castro Valley and have a barn jam. And for the whole weekend, we'd just get keggers and play in a barn, and everybody could just get up and play. It was just, it was just awesome. It was a place to go. We stayed out of trouble. And all the people that I mentioned were all there jamming all weekend. They wouldn't leave. We would be there just having fun. And, you know, the guys would get together on their separate bands and do their thing, but we still had these barn jams like once a month out in the canyon. It was great. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's funny you mentioned Ted Nugent because I will never forget the first time I saw Ted Nugent live as a kid. He opened up for Kiss, and I'm a huge Kiss fan. And the next day at school, everyone's like, how was Kiss? I didn't talk about Kiss. I don't talk about Ted Nugent. I've never seen another yeah. person perform like that in my life. You know, like he, like you yeah. said, jumping off the amps and diving. I'm like, holy cow! You know. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to get people to get a grasp on how growing up in the '80s here was with all these bands. I mean, 12 years old, 
literally five houses away from me, I could walk up my dirt street and sit on the corner and listen to Journey with Greg Raleigh practiced right up the street from me. Into the Future, the first two albums, they practiced in a, in a garage with the doors wide open. You can hear it for miles. Man. You know, and right then, five miles away, I go to see my buddies practice Y&T. I mean, these were guys that, that you know, that, that got me into wanting to do this stuff. And then, and then Rodian and for Cliff and, and his first band, Trauma, and, and hanging out with Jimmy Martin's band, you know, and, and just being around those guys and watching those guys play. You know, I said, I got to be doing this. I can't be roadie. And, you know, the next concert, I went to Black Sabbath and Van Halen. was my first concert at the Coliseum. And I said, the next next concert I go to is going to be mine. That's what I told myself. And that was what I lived by. And the next concert was mine. I opened up for, we played with Legacy, which was Testament before Testament. Wow. Uh, uh, It was my band Sniper. It was uh, Forbidden, Heathen. Blind Illusion, which was uh, Les Claypool's first band. Um, Mordred. I mean, this was a great show at Ruth in Berkeley. I mean, this was the times. Wow. Great stuff, buddy. Yeah, man. Man, that's some history right there. So yeah, what, great stuff. So what is next then for Bleed the Freaks? Like, what's next? Are you guys going to get a touring schedule going? What's going yeah. on here? Yeah, that's what we're working on right now. We're working on, we're working on doing the festivals over in Europe. You know, we've got some things in the works. Uh, we're doing these uh, magazine articles and, and such, and you know the radio station stuff. Uh, we're excited to get the album out and get you know people like you to, that actually get it. You know is what keeps us going, and gets us excited. You know, uh, Europe's a little more uh, our goal right this minute is getting over. We're playing some local shows. We want to do a little bit of touring in the states. Our singers from Buffalo, so nice. we want to get up that way. We want to get up that way. We plan on getting on that way. Do do a few shows too up that that way uh, soon. Um, but next year we want to do all the big festivals in Europe is our goal, buddy, and I hope we can get there. I think that will be great for you guys. I really think that the European crowd is going to eat you up. I mean, the, the sound that you guys have, I, I just I can't rave enough about the record. And, I mean, you know, I, t- I typically, like, I get an album, I'll listen to it through once, and even, like, um, there's a new record I got the other day. I listened through it a couple times, I love it, but I told you, like, it's, it's just so overcompressed, I can't listen to it for very long. And this, I just keep playing again and again. Like, well, let's listen to that track again. Let's listen to this track again. Like, and and the, the Crush My Groove is the one that I keep coming back to. I just love Crush My love Groove. Crush My Groove. Very, very, very meaningful song to us. You know, I got to tell you that uh, that was written by uh, two of my deceased great friends from the Bay Area that I grew up with that were famous, semi-famous people in bands. Yeah, it's Michael Uskramski. Yeah, it's from, he was in Griffith, Griffin and Heathen. And my friend Chumley, my friend Chumley that played bass in DRI that Harold O took his place, they helped me write two or three of those songs on that album, you know, in the last couple of years before they passed, you know, a while back. So, you know, that's a very meaningful song to me. Uh, the singer went to try out and he said, oh, man, this sounds like Bon Jovi. I can't play in this. I can't play with these guys. And I said, no, Bill, we have a, we have a vision for this song. It's going to be great, man. Just roll with me and let's go with it. And he worked with me. And this is the end result, pal. And we're very proud of it. Yeah, and, and like I say again, I just I absolutely love it. Well, hey, Mike, I don't want to give any more of your time. I want to thank, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you, buddy. And we'll talk soon. All right, and that concludes our show. I want to thank both Jordan and Mike for coming on the show. I really appreciate them coming and talking to us about 
Well, those great projects they both have going on. You guys have got to see the We Got Power book from Bazillion Points Media. It's absolutely amazing. And then, of course, check out the new record from Bleed the Freaks. They'll be hitting um, some festivals and then hopefully coming through uh, coming through Pittsburgh here really, really soon. I know I want to catch up with the, those guys when they get here. So, guys, thanks for listening. As always, check out ironcityrocks.com. There's always something going on. Um, we do our best to get to every show we can and take pictures and post them just in case you couldn't get to the show, so you can check that out. Um, plus, visit castironring.com. If you like what's on this show, maybe you have tastes that are a little heavier, or maybe say, hey, you know, I really like this music. Where else can I go for some great music podcasts? We have a plethora of great music podcasts at castironring.com. Um, really, some of, the, some of the best that's going on there, because it's all guys like us who just love music, and love talking about music, and you're really going to get the nitty-gritty when it comes to just the different bands and different music that's out there. So guys, hey, thanks for listening, and until next time, we'll see ya. (laughs) 